If you enjoy listening to this podcast, we ask you to consider supporting it by making a reoccurring or one-time donation. Visit Mayflower's website at www.mayflowerucc.org and click on the Donate Now button. Donations made to Mayflower's Radio Fund are tax-deductible and go toward keeping this podcast available. Thank you for your support. The sermon you are about to hear was preached at Mayflower Congregational UCC Church of Oklahoma City, one of America's premier liberal Protestant pulpits. At Mayflower, we are an open and affirming peace and justice church where we believe that religion should be biblically responsible, intellectually honest, emotionally satisfying, and socially significant. We go now to the pulpit of Mayflower UCC Church of Oklahoma City. Will you pray with me? This week, the lectionary included a selection from Psalm 119, Holy One. And for some of us, it made the post-religious fundamentalist stress disorder come out to play. You see, phrases from the 105th verse of that chapter became part of the pledge to the Bible we had to memorize as children in vacation Bible school. I pledge allegiance to the Bible, God's holy word, and will make it a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path, and I will hide its words in my heart that I might not sin against God. To be fair, the 106th verse says something about making an oath to observe your righteous ordinances. But few of us were then equipped to seek illumination from the Bible. Instead, we were taught to use Scripture as a weapon. There is not one among us who hasn't suffered violence done in its name. Maybe it would have been different if the last line of that pledge had had something about not sinning against our neighbor. But rather than rewrite the pledge, we'd rather turn that test into a testimony. We need these sacred stories to do exactly what the psalmist says, to illuminate, to guide, to teach us how to forgive and to be forgiven, and how to be awed. Be with us, Holy One, as we stop worshiping the Bible so that we might take it seriously enough to study it, to let its poetry undo us, to let its prophecies turn us around, to let its vision inspire us to be our very best. We pray in the name of Jesus, who showed us how. Amen. It is my honor to introduce the first speaker of this year's Distinguished Pulpit Series, Dr. Nyla Khan. Dr. Khan is a professor and author of many published articles, book reviews, and editorials. Dr. Khan has edited Parchment of Kashmir, a collection of essays, and she has written four books, including The Fiction of Nationality in an Era of Transnationalism and Islam, Women, and Violence in Kashmir, between Indian and Pakistan. She received her PhD in English literature and her master's in post-colonial literature and theory from the University of Oklahoma. Dr. Khan is an Oklahoma humanities scholar 
presenting public talks statewide, including, including in women's correctional facilities, where she focuses on education and women's empowerment. She has also been interviewed by numerous major media outlets, including NPR and Voice of America. As an educator, her goal is to engage in reflective action, working with diverse cultural and social groups, questioning the exclusivity of cultural nationalism, the erosion of cultural syncretism, the ever-increasing dominance of religious fundamentalism, and the irrational resistance to cultural and linguistic differences. Her unflinching commitment to pedagogy, scholarship, and her unrelenting faith in the critical focus that education can provide motivate her to build bridges across racial, political, and ideological divides. Dr. Khan was recently awarded the President's Volunteer Service Award and Silver Medal for her national public speaking and her bridge-building work at the community and grassroots level in the state of Oklahoma. Dr. Khan, we are so honored to learn from you, and we welcome you with deep appreciation. Good morning. It's a pleasure to be at the Mayflower Congregational Church. As I contemplate the environment in my home away from home, I reflect on my personal and intellectual journey that brought me from my homeland, Kashmir, which is cradled by the Himalayas in the south and by the Karakoram Range in the north to the rolling plains of Oklahoma. My political, ideo ideological, and cultural leanings rendered me a foreigner in the American Midwest when I first arrived. The initial sense of not belonging and of having to make it in a territory that was oblivious to the meaning of my lineage, my cultural heritage, and everything that I had up until then considered my anchor was disorienting. The American Midwest has been good to me. I have enjoyed living and working in the states of Oklahoma and Nebraska, have learned a lot from the institutions of higher education, as well as the professional and community organizations that I have been affiliated with. The howling winds of this region constantly remind me about the purpose of life which is greater than merely existing. And the howling winds also remind me that we crave a world in which social justice, political enfranchisement, cultural pride, and self-actualization are the order of the day. Working and living in Oklahoma has taught me that community is the ability to organize and mobilize for social change. Community is the courage to bridge divides and to pave the way for the education of the younger generation, which is the only viable response to ignorance and bigotry. Community is the openness to dissent and differences of opinion, which is true courage. It is important to diligently work to engage young people in the United States and other parts of the world in the processes of democracy, to acquire skills and knowledge that would enable them to effectively participate in decision-making, 
to recognize the importance of standing up and being counted, as well as the value of the vote. In order to improve the election process and civic engagement for the people of the United States, particularly millennials, to engage and encourage them to be informed and to vote, it is imperative to identify issues that are important to voters so they are inspired to make a significant difference by participating. It is unfortunate that the average US citizen knows very little about how local, state, or federal governments run, which is why it is necessary to begin civic education in early grades. And this should press upon high school seniors the importance of registering to vote. In order to create democracy, there must be a minimum of participation and adequate diversity in a society. This issue needs to be addressed not just in Oklahoma, but across the nation as well. We have a lack of understanding of each other and a paranoia that may lead to violence. The identity of a state or a nation cannot be built on unquenchable hate, and certainly not on cashing in on the pain and grief of other people. It is, or at least should be inconceivable, in the day and age of a global economy to spurn the concepts of reason, rationality, and political and moral ethics. The perpetuation of a politics that creates and emphasizes cultural myopia and monocultural identities in societies as diverse as those of the United States and Kashmir would be the bane of our existence. This damaging short-sightedness results in intolerance, arbitrary justice, tyranny, and ignorance. Dissatisfaction with the policies of governments, however, should not encourage the glorification of reactionary politics. The last thing we need is the mushrooming of fanatical organizations. The number of hate groups operating in the United States grew by 4% in 2017, according to the Southern Poverty Law Center, an Alabama-based monitoring group. And the last thing that Kashmir needs is Taliban ideologues in any guise, either civil or political or military. Sloganeering, rabble-rousing, demanding the incorporation of articles and constitutions and other theoretical issues are all very well, but the real test is whether these theories have an impact in institutions instead of being just hollow words. So belittling the importance of community and institution building would be highly irresponsible. Our young people need to remember that despite the several letdowns, the process of democratization is an evolutionary one.
and does not provide instant solutions. The rhetoric of bitterness and hatred that is palpable the world over undermines rule of law and political accommodation in democratic nations. We still have a lot of work to do in order to repair divides. As I've said at other forums, the non-legislative reforms that we require are new efforts and new forums, not just in this country, but in other parts of the world as well, for the birth of new ideas and broad-based grassroots politics that transcend organizational divides. We cannot afford to cling to outdated positions which are incapable of bringing about change or progress. I consider it urgent to reflect on the recent hate crimes against people of other races and faiths in the United States. The fear of the other must be addressed boldly and courageously. Democratic, social, and educational institutions cannot function in a country without participation by citizens. Nurturing civil society groups like religious organizations, chambers of commerce, the youth, musicians, artists, public speakers, and activists that bridge racial, ethnic, and religious divides is a prerequisite for the effective and legitimate functioning of institutions. Democracy does not limit itself to numbers or majoritarian rule, but to substance. My work with the Oklahoma Universal Human Rights Alliance, the United Nations Association of Oklahoma City, and the YWCA has reinforced that there is no room for the subjection of religious and racial minorities to authoritarian rule in a democratic nation. In a nation that prides itself on women's rights, the objectification of women, of which we have been seeing plenty of examples, has made us aware that misogyny and racism are not things of the past. There was a time when women in my homeland, Kashmir, were gaining new rights and increasingly asserting themselves in politics. And this momentous shift in traditional gender relationships opens up new possibilities for the pursuit of world peace. Those of us from the developing world who have had women heads of governments and women parliamentarians learn the worth of gender equity and women's participation in politics a long time ago. But somewhere along the way, we lost the plot. My maternal grandmother represented Kashmir in the Indian parliament twice. Today, in several parts of the world, women constitute a minority, increasing the pressures 
of high visibility, stereotyping, inability to make substantial change, and an inability to foster progressive policies. With the increase in the number of women in the US Congress, we hope to see change. Sub-Saharan African legislatures also contain more women representatives than the US Congress. 23.8%. Indeed, the United States ranks 100 out of the 190 countries examined by the Interparliamentary Union, behind Rwanda, Mexico, Afghanistan, and the United Arab Emirates. The victories of several women in the recent congressional election mark a milestone in the US political system. It is important to delve into concrete and viable ways in which women politicians on both sides of the aisle in this country, Republican and Democrat, can reestablish their historic ties with dialogue and peace instead of blindly advocating militarization and military invasions overseas. Obviously, an important challenge then and now is the restoration of human rights in several parts of the world, the validation of an inclusiveness that recognizes diverse religious identities and allows for the accommodation of those identities within an inclusive framework, creating new openings for the young to discuss public issues and become active participants. The youth in this country and in other parts of the world as well clamor for more democratic rights, access to education without debt, global exchange, and a political system that recognizes diversity and human rights. The electoral principle, as we all know, is discussion, not autocratic decisions. Our young people are beginning to recognize the influence that the local community can exercise and to think constructively about change within organizations and institutions. Politics should no longer be an abstract notion for young people, but a concrete method to bring about long-term reforms which younger generations could build on. In politics, the only viable way is forward, not a constant looking back. And policies and methods must be re revisited, revised and readjusted in order to meet today's needs. In the wake of the outbreak of COVID-19, bewilderment reigns supreme. Self-imposed isolation is the new social order people are experiencing a loneliness epidemic because of social distancing. Compassion is rarely expressed 
because everyone is looking out for herself or himself. At this point, we need a global response, not just to COVID-19, but to humanitarian disasters that have followed in its wake. A lot of us focus on big achievements, forgetting that the small moments count as much as the big ones. I, for one, want to, want to be present not just for the big moments, but for the small moments as well. There is potential for meaning in every moment. COVID-19 has compelled me to rethink perceptions that some of us thought were unquestionable. I have realized that there is great strength in acceptance of the inevitable. There is great strength in recognizing that life is never free of pain, and it is empowering to embrace that pain. There is great strength in recognizing that we held up with dignity and resilience when adversity knocked on our doors. There is great strength in finding meaning and purpose in adversity. Last semester, I had several students who were trying to make ends meet in the midst of this unprecedented crisis. Some of them were working two jobs so they could pay their bills. Others were working hard to support their families who had been furloughed. Some of them had sporadic access to Wi-Fi. Despite all that, I saw determination and perseverance in all my students. Despite the odds, they pushed themselves to meet deadlines and step up to the plate. They learned to see their challenges as opportunities to grow. I am glad that my students and I were able to create a safe environment in which we examined our locations of privilege and sought emotional empowerment in order to understand systems that have generated a culture of silence about systemic discrimination. We cannot afford to hamper progressive political and social change any longer. I realize more than ever that we cannot afford to section off humanity into various races and various worlds because that robs us of our power to prevent disease from destroying the world. In spite of the physical delineation of boundaries, we all live in one zone. Our hopes, aspirations, fears, and dangers are the same. We are all connected by the common bond of humanity. My notion of humanity is, is that of a mosaic, carefully crafted from the assemblage 
of diverse materials. And that notion is reinforced every day. Seeing the incredible work that synagogues, churches, and mosques have done during this difficult period to provide for the less fortunate has increased my faith in camaraderie, humanity, and the resilience of the human spirit. Speaking to the Mayflower Church congregation brings home the strength of the human bond that unites us across divides created by cultural and religious fanaticism globally. The truth is that it is time to summon up the courage to initiate a politics of construction. Can we build common ground to lessen polarization? A fragmented society cannot accomplish anything, either politically or socioeconomically. As Abraham Lincoln said in 1858, a house divided against itself cannot stand. So, with faith in the values of the wonderful people I work with, who have, been, who have been making a consistent effort to stand up for growth, education, and justice. I know that we will be able to hew out of the mountain of despair a stone of hope. My mantra is building bridges and communities, not walls. God bless you all. Thank you very much. You've been listening to the preaching and teaching from Mayflower Congregational UCC Church of Oklahoma City. More information about the church can be found at mayflowerucc.org or by visiting Mayflower's Facebook page. Worship services every Sunday are at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. with adult education classes at 10 a.m and a full church school for all ages is available during the second service. Mayflower is located on Northwest 63rd, a block west of Portland. Thank you for listening.